Listener Production. Hi, I'm Anthony Matafari, and I'm the lifestyle editor at Car Sales. For me, when I'm out on the road on a road trip with friends and family, you tend to have conversations you wouldn't usually have anywhere else. So I thought it'd be a good idea to head out on the road with some well-known Aussies to get to know them a little bit better. Let's meet today's guest. Hi, Sebastian. Thank you so much for having us on for the ride. Pleasure. Tell us, what are we sitting in? Uh, we're sitting in the uh, Land Cruiser at the moment and... Um, Pretty hard to get your hands on on this car, and and so I was pretty grateful when it arrived, and it hasn't disappointed. It is a monster of a thing. Like I felt like I needed a ladder to step into <laughs> it. My wife drives the Prado, and that's quite a big car as well. But when I drive the Prado for a little while, and then I get back into this car, I'm like, wow, this is big. And and to be honest, I've. I just cannot see myself getting into a small car ever again because I've been ro- driving Land Cruisers for so long now and um, it comes in handy. I, I, I love activities. I go fishing a fair bit. I, um, it's great chucking the golf clubs in and, and plenty of room and plenty of grunt. So would you call yourself a car person then? I'm not a massive car person as far as like hotting up cars and, and customising to that extent. I, for me, I think as I've gotten older, I just need something that's practical, that's comfortable and obviously reliable. I do a lot of driving, especially on tour. I've just taken this car all over the country on a rural tour. So, you know, we're playing shows almost every night, five or six shows a week, and, and sometimes the travel time is six hours in mm. between shows. So it's got to be comfortable, got to be reliable. Let's uh, put a couple more kilometres on it. Let's do it. Go along for the ride. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) All right. Get that AC going. Yeah, it's getting hot without the AC. So are you often the um, the driver on tour when you hit the road? Um, I'll drive myself so that the band are in some bigger vans and stuff and they'll they'll have their own vehicles as well and I kind of go at different times so, so I don't need a sound check. Um, because it's all digital so we rehearse quite a bit before the tour starts and really it's about preservation when I'm on tour on the road I'm doing yeah five or six shows a week and they're not easy shows pretty dynamic vocally so so I've got to make sure my voice is healed before the next show am I getting abused it's probably my fault to be honest (laughs) (laughs) we're driving past Moore Park golf course now it's weird every time I see a golf course I just get this FOMO what is your handicap? I'm 10 at the oh, moment. Wow. I just broke 80 for the first time at the Lakes Golf Course the other day. And it's so hard to explain the feeling. Like, I'm on a high for... I was on a high for the whole time. I, I went overseas right after. I kept replaying the round back in my head. You know, when everything goes right, you just hit almost every fairway. The par- the, the putting's <laughs> going well. Because for me, it never happens. Like, I might... You fluked it. I just might be way off with my driver, but my putting's all right, or my irons are are good for the day, and um, but my short game sucks. Nothing ever marries, and this particular round, um, I've I've shot 80, 81, 82 before. I've just always wanted to break 80 at the lakes because it's such a tough course. I did it. I shot 79. I had this like eight or nine foot putt on the 18th, and I was on 78, and I thought. If I two-putt this, it, my dream is God. So anyway, I've, uh, there was a couple of people that putted before me and I saw the line, just trusted it. It went in and it was, yeah, it was all on. It was a lot of cheers. But uh, I just love golf. I play a lot on the road, so especially on tour. Just We're, we're in places like Tamworth and um, 
like up up northern Queensland and, and, and even coming through Coffs Harbour and all these random places down the south coast, you end up at these country courses that are beautiful mm. and the people are so nice and, and um, I just love playing some of these courses. Port Macquarie, pretty much play golf almost every day while I was on tour. So is that how you decided your um, your tour dates and locations were based on the, <laughs> oh, the quality courses. of the courses? That's, no, look, that's why I've got the Land Cruiser because I can go for drives during the day. But look, it's a, it's a perfect thing for me to get into because when I'm on tour, I, it is about preservation. Like I've got to not talk and got to get heaps of sleep, let my voice recover before the next show. I was saying to my um, one of my best mates who's in the band, Gary, I was like... I can't remember the last time I've even remotely lost my voice or my voice has cracked while I've been on tour. It's been years, which for me, it's something I'm really proud of, even though it's really boring to talk about. I'm always of the thought that every show is the same, like the first, like just as important as the first show. They've all bought tickets. All I need to do is let slip one night, like have a night where I stay out and have drinks with the band and, and, and go a bit too hard. Or And so I'm so regimented and I'm so disciplined, like I don't drink while I'm on the road until the, you know, the end and there's certain foods I avoid, like I'm really boring, it, nothing with like spice or gravy or anything, everything's steamed and it's so boring but I know it works mm. and so I'm, I'm very much about process. I do the same thing every day. And so golf is perfect because I guess, you know, it's a spaced out sport where, where you know, you're on a course, I'm not talking to heaps of people and, um, yeah, like the occasional yelling happens from me shanking a shot or something, but uh, <laughs> it's, it's been awesome. Well, it's been 20 years since, well, at the end of this year, it'll be 20 years since your win at Australian Idol. Yeah. That's, for me, 20 years, that does not seem that long ago. Like, it does not seem, because I remember being at home watching. You would have been a baby. Well, I would How have How old been, were you 20 years ago? Uh, oh, God. Um, well, it would have been 10 because I'm 30. So I would have been eight or nine years old yeah. watching you, televoting for you to win. Let's summarise it in this half an hour podcast. What are your highlights for the last 20 years? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> well, the last year was pretty incredible. And it's funny because sometimes your highlights come mixed amongst some lowlights as well. And and, uh, it was a pretty challenging year, to be honest. And I was kind of trying to navigate through really grown-up things. Mm. Um, It was a court case that was happening in the middle of while I was touring. And weirdly, the tour itself was the biggest tour I've ever done. Like, it was an arena tour. You know, you sort of dream of playing these venues and, and there's so much anxiety when you're putting on these shows, especially on um, playing at Margaret Court Arena or the ICC here, it's like 9,000 people or something to, f- like, what if what if people don't buy tickets or whatever? Like, and so when we put on the show, I thought, oh, it'd be amazing to sell out the show. We sold it out so fast and then it was like, um, it, I ended up doing five shows, five sold out shows. Wow, that's fantastic. Um, stressing about selling out one and and we did five in five margaret courts we did five icc's here all the other shows were sold out it was just like it was unbelievable for that to have happened just because you know it it was a a challenging year and so that it really kind of boosted my confidence and stuff and um yeah it was was amazing so i'd say definitely the tour that i just did i i I think is a highlight (laughs) i found some old footage weirdly you asked 
I found some footage last night. I found this old memory card and I pulled it out and it was all this footage from like 2013. I was on tour with Taylor Swift. Mm. I watched back this old footage and I was like, that was definitely a highlight, playing those stadiums with Taylor and, and uh, yeah, I don't know. It feel, feels like I'm talking about touring a lot as the highlights because I think touring is almost like the cherry on top when mm. it comes to being a musician. You write music, you really stew on the lyrics and the melody and getting the actual recording right and the song structure right and then you release it and you do all your all you can to make sure it gets out there and has a chance of being heard and then hopefully people resonate with the song but it's not until you're on stage that you see that come to you know fruition where where you're actually tangibly seeing how people react to those songs what it means to them like I, I could start an intro on piano and it's like the first three or four notes I play you see people in the audience go or you might see someone mouth our song or something and you see that from stage as the performer and that like that'll never stop meaning a lot to me you know the fact that music is 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 powerful and it means a lot to people and and, um, it's yeah it's definitely the the pinnacle and this one might be a a tricky question but how do you get inspired to write because you write most or all of your songs but like yeah. where do you get the inspiration from how do you put it down into you know words and into music it's funny because like it's very different it's hard to answer like I guess definitively what the inspiration for a song is because sometimes it's so shallow it's like I, I, I'll order I'll find a new sample bank or I'll, I'll buy a new keyboard or synth or something and then I'm playing with sounds and just through that process I'll, I'll come up with an idea and I might be driving you know battle scars mm. I was driving in LA and I remember hearing the melody in my head so it's always in my head it'll just pop in I don't know how it gets there it's, that's always been a weird thing to me I, 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 the, the only way I can explain it is, is via this book I read called The Big Magic Elizabeth Gilbert I think she, she wrote Eat, Pray, Love. She wrote this book about creativity and how... And it sounds airy-fairy, but it was the best example I've ever heard of someone trying to explain creativity. And the, she said that there's ideas that visit you. It's almost like they, they float around and they might visit you. Then you're, you're kind of the gatekeeper of that idea. And if you don't do the right thing by it, it'll visit someone else. Mm-hmm. And I remember Battle Scars. The melody came into my head and I pulled over and I got my phone out. I started singing the melody, but I, in the process, I'm always singing gibberish, right? Just mouthing stuff. Because in songwriting, I think phonetics are just as important sometimes as lyrics themselves. So if you can twist lyrics to match the phonetics. Now, what I mean by that is like, these battle scars, the actual vowels are very open battle scars, right? If, I, if, if they were words that were like, is chosen, um, choose, <laughs> you know, like, it's the, the vowels and yeah. the phonetics are, are closed off, doesn't have the impact or the grandeur of, of some of these open sounds, and so I sung the words Battle Scars, I wasn't even thinking along those lines, and then I got to my mate's house, who I was going to be riding with that day, and I got, and I said, oh, dude, I've had this idea in the car, it'd be awesome, I've been listening to um, Laser's the album by Lupe Fiasco I was like I'd love to write something that's a rap um, feature and I said I had this idea and I played it back and 
I heard myself sing Battle Scars. I was like, Battle Scars, it's a great title. I can relate to so much in that right now. And so, yeah, the, the idea is sometimes just, like, where the melody come from? Mm. It's so hard to explain. Like, where did I, why did I hear a melody? <laughs> like, I wasn't even <laughs> listening to music. So it's hard to describe songwriting, but, but it's, it, it'll either come from just randomly visiting you or you going through something like, mm. you know, I wrote a song called Before I Go uh, and I was going through kind of some of the things that I was talking about before and so I was in a just a rubbish spot and needed a song that was kind of my own pep talk almost and and so that was purely just what was coming out of things I needed to say so it's always different sometimes it's deep sometimes it's a bit more shallow and even the shallow ones can end up being deep so I didn't explain that very well, did I? Well, I guess um, (laughs) music is kind of like when you go to a gallery and see art, like the artist doesn't really tell you their intent behind it and they leave the visitor to, I guess, make up their own mind. Mm, Do you feel that with some of the songs, the way people have interpreted it, it's quite very like not how you had envisioned it? Oh, my gosh. I realised that early on that sometimes I don't even like to elaborate too much on what the song means to me because I don't want to define what it means for someone else. You know, I wrote a song called Choir and mm. it was about the passing of a dear friend of mine and, and that takes a whole new meaning for other people and, and it's, it's kind of like the anti-sad song in the sense that it's, it's the subject matter is heavy but the, the music is joyful. So it's like almost trying to create a celebration of someone's life as opposed to just the mourning part. There's plenty of songs out there that, that deal with, you know, you just put on any sort of piano ballad and you'll cry when you're going through something like that. But a uh, choir, I think it sort of does something weird with your grief. Well, it did for me because I, it started out as a ballad. I was like, no, I'll never be able to sing it. And, and so made it into this kind of celebration. So, yeah, it, it's... Um, I've forgotten the initial question. What was that? Oh, I guess it's just about interpret- how people yeah, interpret. So... so Standing With You is another song I just sung on tour and, you know, deal, deals with mental health. And of all the songs I've written, obviously when you're dealing with mental health, it's such a wide spectrum of what people go through. The stories that I've heard from people who are like, oh, that song really helped me through this or through this scenario, it's mind-blowing. So, yeah, I, I, I try not to define the art so much as opposed to just letting people absorb it and make it their own. When you go to create a set list for a tour, how do you go about that? Because you've got an extensive back catalogue after 20 years, Mm. heaps of hits that people will be emotionally connected to, whether it was a time in their life, something happened, they remembered, or it's on the radio, so, you know, they love it. How do you decide we're not doing this song but we're doing these songs i i generally know what works live and what is provoking as far as emotion goes i know what ends up just kind of being a jam it's it's trying to find the balance between indulgence as far as musically there's songs we enjoy playing just because quarterly it's a little bit different and it's actually a really long conversation the set list is the toughest thing because you're trying to balance keeping people in a certain zone if it's up tempo for for too long you know that that energy is hard to kind of maintain if it's ballads for way too long 
So you're trying to kind of pepper the set with these dynamic energy movements that keep them out of their body a little bit. You don't ever want them settling in into themselves too much because yeah. then you've got to pull them back out of their body again. And so it's a really difficult thing to navigate. And, and then there's choreography moments yeah. like when to, okay, we've probably done a bit too much visual content for the screens. Let's just do this song and fade to black and have just couple of single spotlights it's there's a lot that goes into it and and i've got a pretty amazing team that that we you know we all sort of sit together and and work out the balance of the show changes a lot has there been a song that you're just like i can't sing this anymore i'm sick of it or <laughs> I, I or it's changed meaning or something's happened and you're like i know everyone loves you know angels but i can't i cannot sing this anymore they've made me sing it too many times <laughs> i used to i used to get a little bit like that um i think i think because i you know, it's been 20 years now. I can sort of dive back into certain things if I get those feelings about songs. But then there's songs that I think I would get sick of because I've sung them so much. Songs like Choir or songs like Battle Scars. I just never get sick of singing Battle Scars. I don't know what it is. And I've done a million different versions. And I think it's the chord progression. It's, it's you know, I grew up listening to a lot of Sting and having that minor movement in, the, in that song. It's just a really, very, really simple, emotive movement that I can do so many different versions of it. Yeah, there's songs I do get a little bit, I guess, tired of singing. But, but it always comes back to, I, I think you have to have the ability to remind yourself of the audience and what, you know, you're, you're not there for your own indulgence as a performer. And if you let yourself lose the connection to the song, they're not going to connect with it. And so... I think that's what grounds me back to not being musically bored or whatever because that's indulgent. It's, you know, I'm, yes, I'm enjoying it, but I'm also putting on this show for an audience who I want to connect with the songs. And so, like what I was saying about preserving my health and all that mm. sort of stuff, it's the same reason I come back to the audience and what they deserve. What was your first car? My first car was a Datsun 120Y, a mm. <laughs> poo brown colour. <laughs> started half the time the other time I used to have to uh I'd chuck it in reverse and our driveway was on a bit of a bit of a slope and I'd have to jump like I'd jump start it in reverse out of the driveway and then it'd sort of I think the alternator would kick over and oh. sort of charge the battery I don't know why the battery went flat I had it looked at it just wouldn't yeah I was I didn't have a whole lot of cash I was at uni I was pretty broke so the Datto was it was a good one it's look even if you're not really um, mechanically sound having a car like that is really good because you open the hood and it's pretty logical like it is you know it's not like the hood under here where there's so much technology after the Datsun I had a Telstar okay Ford Telstar and then after that I, I got this Honda Integra but it's an old one it sort of had I think they, they had the same it was pretty much the same car as the Rover you're, you're a little younger than me, so you might not remember these cars, but the Rover and the Integra were pretty much the same. They were just rebadged. Mm. It was so old that, you know, even though they gr- they had all the bells and whistles, so it had electric windows, I think I bought it for 1500 bucks, so it wasn't <laughs> expensive, but nothing worked. Oh. I regretted everything. Like, nothing, none of the electrics worked. <laughs> I had all this, like, fancy technology. Uh, but I was, that was uh, back in, in those days, I was right into... 
you know, installing my own stereo oh, and, yeah. I'd, and I'd build a little box for the little sub and speakers and stuff back. Like I was that bogan. Windows down. Oh, yeah. Cruising, you know, through the city down Highly Street as a young, <laughs> young dude trying to be cool in this terrible car that wouldn't ever start like so i always had troubles with cars starting i don't know what i just picked bad ones so the integra same thing every now and then just wouldn't start there was a cable that was there like this little um metal cable that was there from the previous owner and he goes mate just touch connect it straight to the solenoid just you know touch the battery it'll start (laughs) 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 that's how i'd start my car sometimes it was yeah when you won Idol and all the proceedings after that, did you do an, like a nice celebratory spend and buy yourself a nice car? Or well, <laughs> oh, I'm going to look like such a loser for this. Like, not for the car, but for for this little uh, incident that happened. Uh, so, I I could never afford a, a nice car before that. Like I said, I was at at uni and stuff, and I got an RX eight. Ah. Yellow, canary yellow, <laughs> obnoxious, so fast. And I drove it to Adelaide from Sydney mm. for Christmas because I was like, I've got to go, I've got to show mum and dad and show my brothers and drove it around Adelaide like I was king. I was so proud. And then my mum and my two brothers, are like they were coming back to Sydney, so we drove back. Mm. I'm on the Hay Plains. And you know the Hay Plains, like there's no servo mm. in between. You've got to fill up sort of before, like either end of it. If you don't fill up and you're low on fuel, you're screwed. So I've filled up and then we're cranking the music. It's my little brothers sing as well. And so my mum, we're having the best time. And I thought I was in sixth gear, but I was in like fourth or, or <laughs> I was in either fourth. I think I was in fourth gear. And so the revs are sitting up like 5,000 Plus, right, and we didn't couldn't hear it for ages. So the, we're just cruising through the fuel. <laughs> Suddenly, my fuel light comes up. I'm in the middle of the hay plains, run out of fuel. Oh, no. It's at night time, <laughs> so I've had to like flag down a car. This lovely bloke drove me forty something minutes. He uh, drove me to the service station. I filled up a bunch of jerry cans and then had to get a lift back because this guy wasn't going to drive back. And you know, This girl walks into the servo. I'm with my little brother. I've left my other little brother and my mum <laughs> at the car. So this girl walks in. I'm like, oh. Um, and she goes, Guy Sebastian? <laughs> she goes, I'm listening to your CD right now. Now, this is right after I've won Idol. So, like, it was, you know, it was everywhere. She goes, what are you doing in the hay plains? I was like, I just ran out of petrol. Can I have a lift back? Are you going that way? She goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. I study at Ballarat. I'm visiting my parents. I'm going that way. I'll give you a lift. And she's like, what is going on? And she was so nice. She gave me this lift. I get back and my brother and my mum are like in the back. They're ca- like they're, they're hiding. Mm. They were so scared that they were going to murdered or something out in the, in the middle of hay plains. <laughs> and so... That was my fancy trip back. When a super fan comes to the rescue. Absolutely came to the rescue. Oh, that's fantastic. (laughs) What's it like now, you've had 20 years of experience, but out and about, just doing the shopping or going for a run and someone just yells out, oh my God, Guy Sebastian. And they they will always refer to you in your full name. Full name. It's never Guy. 
it's awesome. I mean, it's it it's it is what it is. It's kind of like it's been twenty years now, and and I just think you can't have you can't have both. Like you can't be in the public eye and get all the the benefits of being able to tour and and like do what you love for a job, and then go oh no, nah, but I don't like this part where I've got to say good day to people and take selfies. And why? Like it's it it takes five seconds out of my day and it, it's photo with some kids or it's so easy and 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 of course it gets tough it's a tough one to juggle because sometimes I've got my kids and all they want is like oh we've got to get here you've like we're going to this place or we're getting an ice cream or something and they've got to stop but also it's a good lesson for them like they're learning patience and learning you know like my job's different it is it's it's a bit different so it's sweet and it's part of the job you just gotta you can't have both well you've gone from being judged on a show to becoming the judge so you've done X Factor and The Voice now what was that transition like and what kind of I guess do you have PTSD when people walk in and go oh gosh I remember exactly what you're feeling no not so much I mean my memories of Idol are amazing (laughs) like I I've always loved my entry into the industry you know there's I, th- I think there's often times where people will try and almost distance themselves or whatever mm. no way that's it people voted for me like they got behind me actually spent money to vote for me to make sure I had this opportunity so that's why I then you know that happily became a judge um, on the X Factor but now obviously a coach on the voice um, it's a privilege but I'm really I feel like I'm I'm pretty honest as far as, like, I don't promise anyone that they're a star or that they're going to have immediate success or whatever. I'll tell someone they've got star quality, Mm. like, wow, everything about you is starish. What a voice. You really meant what you were singing. It did something to me. You can't promise anyone success, but you can give them a a springboard. Idol wasn't a guarantee. Mm. But it was a springboard and it was an opportunity for people to get exposed to what you do. But then the rest is up to you. So I try and be as honest as possible. And as I've gotten older, you know, you learn all the snares and the traps and it's a real privilege. You know, it's said on those shows, oh, this could change your life. Well, look at my life. Like it obviously changed my life for being just that audition, that one decision, that sliding doors moment to go get over yourself and what you're scared of, blah, blah, just go do it. And I did it. And, and uh, you know, Jules was with me on that day, my wife. We auditioned together and, and um, I still remember it, you know, early morning in Adelaide and it did, it changed my life. I, I was looking around going, oh, that person, like, look, they look like a pop star. It was a different time back then. It was yeah. like pop world was really about image and I'm just going, oh, that person, like, that person, I... You know, I'm this weird-looking Afro-haired kid. I'm chubby. Like, I didn't have the look or whatever. And that was the first thing that was really said to me as well. Like, throughout my industry, you you know, you look this way. Like, you don't have the look of a pop star. I had rejections from record labels. And so, wow, I, Idol just... It just completely got rid of all those sort of shallow things. And if you couldn't sing didn't matter if you were a supermodel like it was all a cappella on Idol so you're on stage and it's like it gets a bit awkward yeah. when someone sucks you know and so it was, no, I'm grateful 
So you mentioned your brothers a few times and that you're all musically inclined. So do you think music was always, you know, in your destiny, so to speak? Not necessarily as a career, because I grew up in Adelaide. Like I said, it was a different time. It wasn't like where everyone's uploading things to TikTok or you get that feedback. Like, you don't know if you're good, except for the circle around you. Like, when I would sing, yeah, people would say, dude, you've got something or whatever. But it's not like I'm getting randoms that are online going, oh, you should do this as a career. Yeah. So I was in bands. I, I, you know, I was sound engineering and I was immersed in music, touring, recording. I was a session singer, um, doing background vocals for certain albums and things like that. But I didn't think it would be something I could like, oh, this is going to be my job. And it wasn't like a, you're taught to dream big like where I was from and all that sort of stuff, just different time. What were you like as a kid? I don't think I was the easiest kid. I think people, from what they know of me, would probably think I wasn't naughty or anything. But but I, I think I was a bit of a handful at times, but not like terrible, just cheeky. I loved having a laugh, loved to make people laugh. Like at class, I was just an idiot. Like I know I enjoyed being an idiot just to get a laugh. Very sporty, like obsessed with cricket, obsessed with AFL loved music you know I um I, I remember when I first sung at school it was sort of a bit of bit of a scary moment because I I didn't know how it would be perceived and and um or how my mates like I said I played a lot of sports yeah. so I wasn't sure how they'd like take to me singing and and they were so like, everyone was so nice like I was in a chapel service and and all my mates afterwards were like dude what we didn't <laughs> know you could sing <laughs> it was like pretty cool moment that that first time I sung in front of all my mates. I was so nervous. I looked at my shoes the whole time. I couldn't look up, and my bottom lips like shaking. And yeah, it was pretty nerve wracking. The bands you were in, did they have fun names? Or was oh, like- the worst name, <laughs> far out. I was in this pop band put together by this dodgy bloke, and. Um, there was eight of us. Eight. There was a four-piece band and four singers. Wow. And we all, like, dressed the same and stuff. It was like almost like not kids' music, but we looked like the Wiggles. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and we were called Generate with an eight. Ooh. What Gen- year was this? Generate. This was, oh, God, it must have been 2000. Oh, feels very, yeah, it feels very of the millennium. Yeah, like of. 99, 2000. <laughs> <laughs> we had choreography, like, I could, I'd never danced and stuff, so we're trying to do this choreography. One of the, one of the girls in the band was, like, a really good dancer, so it was two girls, two guys. The other guy was, like, this really good mate of mine, but he was, he's a jazz singer. I was obsessed with R&B gospel, but we're writing these, like, really really pop songs and and it was I don't know, it was amazing it was really good we went on a show called star search or something no starstruck starstruck yeah, that does ring please about. don't find the footage of that but i was on a show <laughs> that was my second taste of tv my first taste of tv i sang on am adelaide oh it was like you know like the today show but locally in Adelaide, AM Adelaide, and it was a tribute for when Princess Diana passed away. And this guy had written this song and he asked me to sing it. Uh, He had this opportunity to get his song on AM Adelaide or something. I was like, yeah, yeah, I'll do that. 
it's like, oh my gosh, I'm going to be on AMLA. <laughs> I'm so nervous. If we can find the footage for that one as well. Oh man, find it. <laughs> I'd love to see it. What's, um, what are your kids like? Are they musically inclined as well? Because obviously if both you and Jules, you know, both music talents, does that pass through? Obsessed. Kids are obsessed with music. Obsessed with musicals and musical movies and I think like some serious potential just because of, I, I just know that their musicality is at this certain level where if they choose to dive into it, they could be really good. Um, it's like anything. If there's this base understanding of what music is as and what the purpose of it is, then it's up to the individual to dive in as deep as they want. And, and I'm just not that parent that is going to force them in any direction. I'm kind of aware that they're in a bit of a unique spot and something you've got to juggle as a parent who's in this, the public eye, like people say stuff at school, like kids say stuff, and there's almost this expectation. My, my, my only thing that I want is for them to know that whatever they do, I'm proud of them. Like, whatever. Like, this one life I have with them, I want them to never feel like they've failed in my eyes, you know? So... You know, whatever they do, I'll support them. I'm not going to push them in any sort of direction, but I'll support them. Like, like my kid yesterday, Hudson, just taught them chord structures, to, trying to teach them um, piano. In my mind as a parent in a fantasy world, yeah. I want them to be practising every day because I know, like, if you learn piano, you can learn anything. Like, just learn piano, especially for songwriting. And So they've started, and I think I've... I've clicked something in them because I just found some of their favourite songs and taught them how easy it is to play chords just the same shape, play it all in C and, and I found all these like songs that they they love, I know they love and I said look you can play this one really simply and I taught, taught Hudson Imagine, you know, imagine all the people suddenly when it becomes you know something that they can sing along to and relate to as opposed to like oh make sure you learn scales with both hands blah blah that's mm. boring so they've been, like, playing heaps of chords at home and Hudson starts playing these, like, he's just experimenting. He's playing these major seven chords and he went to this, like, augmented chord accidentally yesterday <laughs> and he's playing these two chords. I was like, dude, that's really cool. And he goes, this is what I, I want to write to, Dad. We'll write a song to this. So, um, Writing credits on your new song, I feel. Yes, yes. So um, could we expect the next album will be like a Partridge Family-esque style? All the, that's right. all the Sebastians, uh, all together. All of us, including Jules. Yeah. Jules will be mortified. I've been trying to... If I want to make her really squirm, I'll like get her to sing something. Because that's how we met. We were singing at a wedding together. Ah. One of our mates was getting married and we sung this song song called Whenever You Call that's by Mariah Carey and mm. Brian McKnight and uh, so we sang it as a duet and we used to sing together quite a bit and she's mortified at like the thought of having to sing in public and um, I've told her we've got to do a, like a Sebastian Family Christmas a album Christmas album yes <laughs> yes that would be really cool but she, she's got a beautiful voice like she used to do all of the tricks and run like she was obsessed with Mariah but yeah, she can sing, and, and so yeah, we, there's a lot of music in our house. If she turned up on The Voice, and you, you obviously had your back to it, would you be able to identify her voice? I absolutely would. I, I would hear the fear. I would, <laughs> I would hear it. It would be a very familiar... But then sound. would you turn around going, yes, 
Yes, or would you purposely like just like I'm not turning around? I would like, only yes. turn around if no one else did, out of oh. pure sympathy. Oh. Because if no one else turned around and I didn't, then I'd be sleeping on the couch. I think, <laughs> but I can promise you, you will never ever see Jules Sebastian auditioning <laughs> for the voice. Speaking about other competitions, one that's close to my heart, Eurovision. Mm. You were the first competitive representative for Australia on the 60th Eurovision 2015. Yes. What was that like? Like, I'm, I'm obsessed and I want to know every little detail about Eurovision, but I guess imagine it was quite a blur. It's the a... most fun gig I've ever done, by far. Like, just as far as the feeling that I had, because you you got to imagine it's like there's so much history and mm. conflict and differences and yet they come together in the name of music and entertainment and unite. There's something so beautiful about that. And when I was on it, there was stuff about Russia and there's all this, all this stuff. It was so political. And I guess the heart of Eurovision is just trying to forget that for a second and all come together. And they celebrate sexuality. They celebrate individuals. Like, you be you. As weird as you want to be. Like, you dress in whatever... And we love you. And, and I just felt that in the air. And, and it's like the Hunger Games because in the big stadium, everyone comes in and it's like they've got their flag for their country yeah. and their outfits. And it felt like the musical Hunger Games, but everyone's just cheering each other on because you meet each other and you go to all these pre-Eurovision parties. It's heaps of parties. <laughs> and so you just end up making friends with everyone. And so, yeah, while it's happening and while the the vote is on, you're, you're sitting in these like little sections together and you're like cheering each other on. It was the best fun with like drinking copious amounts of champagne. Yeah. And... When you're putting the song together, were you like thinking, what are the, the Eurovision cliches that I need to put into this because it needs to be Eurovision, but I'm not going to go over the top? Honestly, I didn't think anything except for like, is it going to be a ballad or up tempo? And people tell me, oh, maybe do it. A, like up tempo but it has to be written so it can't like I could have sung a big ballad or something or something that's powerful that would show off my voice or something mm-hmm. more but it has to be like a new song that's written for Eurovision mm-hmm. I had three days left before I had to submit the song and I'd been on tour I was away I was overseas in the US and stuff and I'd landed and I was like I've got three days to submit a fully produced written song so wow. I didn't sleep I, I didn't sleep it was like there was two nights I didn't sleep, so it went into, like, past 48 hours. I think I crashed for, like, 40 minutes or something on my studio couch. Had this studio in Surrey Hills. A mate of mine joined me, David Ryan Harris, and he lives in L.A., so it was very random. I was like, dude, I've got to write this song. Can you, like, do you want to help? He's like, yeah, no worries. So I wrote it. We recorded all the parts. Um, I think Louis produced and yeah, we got it finished and submitted just in time. I mean, in hindsight, I would have loved to have more time and like maybe done a big heartfelt ballad or something because I just love singing a ballad. But it was cool. It was really fun and it was just such an experience. But yeah, it was rushed. Placing fifth, that's no mean feat. Like that is, that is, that is a decent effort. Oh, yeah. You know, I like, was stoked. So also, good. just you're an Aussie, like yeah. we're Australians being there at Eurovision. Everyone was like, <laughs> and that's the thing, they like people, <laughs> European countries could have been like, cool, welcome, like, what do you do? They could have treated me like the, the weird auntie that lobs up at a 
Christmas do that no one really likes and wants to be there, but they treated me so nicely and, yeah, it was amazing. So you've had the opportunity across nearly every continent across the world to meet people, your heroes, other artists. Who is the biggest name that you've met or the weirdest encounter you've had? <laughs> Just down the road I sang at this thing. My, my best mate, he's a Catholic, and he told me about this event called World Youth Day and, and they needed a song for it and so we wrote this song. Anyway, it got chosen and I, I ended up meeting the Pope oh. Like, and he thanked me for the song and that's a pretty big name, I guess, meeting the Pope. Uh, Oprah I sung for when yeah. she was here. That was cool. That was really cool because I, I grew up watching a lot of Oprah and I mentioned Beyonce. My wife has just gone to see Beyonce perform in Dubai. I got to meet her and spend a whole day with her filming The X Factor when I was a judge. And it was was pretty amazing. I mean, we're sitting on this couch together and just, like, I'm having small chat with Beyonce. (laughs) And I've met so many people, though. I mean, everyone. I've met so many different people. And I I get really inspired by a lot of of different people. I like to ask all our guests this question. It's very theoretical and, you know, in in, inward-looking. just like road trips, lives have up and downs, twists and turns, varying scenery. If you had to describe your life up until now in terms of a road trip, how would you describe it? <laughs> well, overall, honestly, just sunshine. I'll just, I'll never ever get used to the fact that I, I've lived the life I have, ever. I'll never feel like I deserve it or that, that I'm entitled to it. There's been some floodwaters to, to get through but that's just life though you know you, it can't all be roses you, you, you know I read something today where it's I'm not going to remember it or quote it properly but it was basically saying you know like the good days are, are to create you know memories and to enjoy and then the bad days are something that you learn from and you get experience from and weirdly it's like good things still come out of bad days and I'm just lucky Guy Sebastian, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for taking us along for the ride. Thank you. It's been fun. The big LC300. It's a beast. (laughs) (laughs) Along for the ride is a listener and car sales production hosted by me, Anthony Matafari. Producer is Kelsey Menzies, audio by Kelly Fulston, and executive producer is Todd Stevens. 